Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2010 Annual Missions Conference. This is the first morning service of Sunday the 6th of June 2010 and the Bible reading is taken from Romans chapter 1 verses 1 to 17. Here's Brother Richard Rolls. Preach the gospel and in this case he was going to Rome. We could say Paul aren't you aware of the persecutions and difficulties that they have in Rome, the, the torment, the level of, of persecution that's being brought against the church. And they were killing Christians in the Roman Colosseum, and uh, they were doing all kinds of heinous things. Uh, we're told they would actually take four horses and uh, tie one horse to each arm and each leg, uh, four total, and drive those horses in four different directions, just literally pull the Christian apart. And uh, and Paul, if we ask him that, he would say, yes, I'm aware of that. And we say, you, you're still ready to go to Rome and preach? And he would say, with everything that's in me. Well, why, Paul? Look at verse 16, and here's the answer. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, and I might add none other, is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It says, for therein, notice verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And uh, so this is missions, uh, it, just the crux of missions. Paul ready to go to Rome and preach the gospel, knowing that it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. But look at verse 17 again. He says, For therein, that is through the preaching of the gospel, that which motivates and stirs us to preach the gospel. He said, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. And notice how it's revealed. From faith to faith. And another way of saying that is that our faith in Christ our saving faith ought to be contagious. Somebody else ought to get saved because we are. Amen? Somebody else ought to, pardon the expression, but somebody else ought to catch what we have. Amen? And uh, so this was the norm of the New Testament. Come right in, folk. Good to see you. Amen. Hi right there. This was the norm of the New Testament. You read in the Scriptures how that... Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he came not to live, but to die. And uh, somebody said that he lived backwards life. Uh, you know, most people, they come into the world with the idea they come to live. But Jesus came to live only to fulfill the scriptures and to go about doing good and uh, healing lost people and teaching and, and proving that he's the Messiah. And in turn, he died on a crude Roman cross paying the sin debt that you and I could not pay. And so many things pointing to this. In fact, if you'll note, please, when the Lord Jesus was first born, uh, there was a star that guided the wise men from the east that came to worship him. And then uh, there was the angels that appeared to the shepherds out in the field, singing glory to God in the highest peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And uh, then when the Lord... Uh, began his earthly ministry. He chose 12 apostles, and he sent them out two by two into every village where 
he himself would come. And after he did that, he chose 70 others also. And uh, you find this in the book of Luke chapter 9 and verse 10. And in verse 1 and 2, he chose 70 others also. That's a total of 82 people, 70 plus the 12 apostles. And they were to go into every town and village where he himself would go and to announce the Lord's coming so that people could arrange their schedule and prepare and be there when the Lord went. The idea, the point is this, that the Lord wanted people to know and he was getting the message out. Now, Jesus himself constantly went about doing good, teaching, preaching, getting the message out. The Bible tells in the book of of Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 that he went into all the towns, cities, villages, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every manner of sickness and disease among the people. But, listen to this please, when he saw the multitudes, the multitudes, he was moved with compassion toward them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And he said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. And I'm going to say, folk, that has not changed this morning. There's no difference. The, the harvest is still great. It's, it's almost mind-boggling. It's staggering how great the harvest is. And the laborers are so few in contrast to what we need. We need more people surrendering to be missionaries, more people being sent out that have surrendered. And uh, because time's running out, one of these days we won't be here any longer. Amen? I used to, I couldn't spell old man, and now I are one. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, you know, it just kind of slips up on you. Amen? So we, ought, we need to be busy. Listen, our communism is, is working. Our enemies are, are working feverishly. Uh, the cults are working. And, uh, and the day's going to come, either the Lord Jesus comes back or the uh, death is going to come for us. And we won't be here anymore. We need to work while it's yet day. Now, I want to give you some things relating to missions. First of all, missions involves basically three things. Number one, being a witness at home. And we can't send out enough missionaries to relieve us and excuse us from not witnessing at home. That's the first thing. Number two, we need not only to be witnesses at home, but we need to be engaged in sending out missionaries. And that's two-part, praying for the Lord to call missionaries out of this church and then sending others that may come by that God has called that are going and then helping to keep those on the field that have gone. And then number three, <coughs> pardon me, doing this with a burdened heart, which will provoke us to pray. Now, I want to ask you, does the Bible teach this? Does the Bible teach that we ought to be doing this? And the answer is an absolute emphatic yes we need to be involved. In the book of Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And somebody said, well, Brother Rawls, I was talking to the disciples many years ago. How does that apply to us? Well, if you go into the book of Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the Bible says Jesus came unto them, that is the disciples, and he said unto them, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, did you notice what it said? Those that you win, he said, teaching these disciples, teaching these that have been baptized, to, to observe all that I have commanded you. And part of that command is, again, to go into all the world. And, folk, by chain of action, this is passed down to us today, this command, just as definitely as if I should step aside and the Lord came again and said to you this morning here in uh, Bethel Baptist Church that you are to go into all the world preach the gospel to every creature. Now, there's no way to do that except through missions. I can't be in but one, I can only be in one place at a time. I'm sure that's, that's earth-shattering news, isn't it? Amen. <laughs> Some things I say, Brother, Brother Larry, are so deep. You know, have you ever noticed that? All right. Yeah, yeah, you're going to work on that. Amen. But seriously, we, you and I, I can only be in one place at a time. You can only be in one place at a time. How, how in the world can we possibly fulfill the, the command to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature? We can only do that as we are actively involved in missions. That's the only way that we can do that. But if we will get involved and stay involved in missions, we can fulfill the command which represents the very heartbeat of God. We can go into all the world. We can preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I said uh, missions involve three things, being a witness at home, sending out missionaries, doing this with a burdened heart. Where do we find this in the Bible? Well, you go into the book of Acts, and uh, in addition to what you find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but in Acts chapter 5, here's what the early church was doing. We know that thousands were getting saved, but listen, Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Listen what they were doing about the people at home. The Bible says, and daily, that means every day, daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Every day in the temple and every day in every house, Jerusalem had thousands Thousands of people in there. And uh, they had, listen, early church, they had to have some kind of an organized visitation program in order for them to systematically cover every single house in the city. And they did not do this simply one time a week or one time a month or get a few houses one time a week, one time a month. I'm telling you, they were in every house every day and in the temple. Now, the temple, they were worshiping under the Old, the Old Testament economy. The people were still, even though they were deceived in the New Testament era. Why were they going to the temple? They were going in order to witness to those that were trying to do right, that were seeking God, just like Peter and John did in Acts chapter 3, when at the hour of prayer, they went down, and they saw a lame man. And uh, this man was begging for alms. And Peter said, looking at him, he said, he said, look on us, fastening his eyes on him. He said, look on us. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. And he took him by the right hand, and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he lifting him up, the Bible says, his feet and ankle bones received strength. And when that man realized what was happening, he leaped up. 
And the Bible says, walking and leaping and praising God and holding Peter and John, the people knew who he was. They knew he'd been healed. They come running together. And Peter said, why look you so earnestly on us as though we by our own power holiness uh, has made this man whole? He said, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you rejected, it's through him that he has this perfect soundness. And Peter preached and 5,000 men besides women and children got saved. That was the purpose for the healing. Amen. God has mercy and he has compassion on people that are crippled. But I want you to know that God used that man for an occasion for the preaching to be introduced and the preaching to be effective. And it was not just 5,000 people that got saved. That was 5,000 men besides the women and children might have gotten saved. Amen. But in the temple, that's the reason it's in the temple. There's going there to witness like Peter and John was that day. But in the temple every day and in every house, they're preaching and teaching Jesus Christ. They were so effective, <coughs> pardon me, that the opposition, the persecutors, slipped up and gave the church a compliment. In verse 28, they said to them, did not, they said to the disciples, did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach nor preach in this name and behold, <coughs> pardon me, that word means something startling's happened. They said, behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now I ask, what in the world make people, you know, go in the face of persecution, go so diligently working, expending physical energy to the, to the extent and point they were what in the world would provoke people to do that? And I'm going to tell you what it was. It was people who had been saved, their hearts aflame, their hearts on fire. They had a passion for lost souls, and they're working to get other people saved. And in doing this, they're fulfilling the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. They started at home. Now, listen, they didn't stay at home. You remember Jesus told, told them to go into all the world? Well, thousands of people were getting saved. You find that, uh, that 3,000 got saved on the day of Pentecost, five more thousand men, and again, I don't have many women and children, but just that 5,000 plus three, that's 8,000 people that got saved there in those first three chapters, four chapters, pardon me, of the book of Acts. Now, 8,000 people, that's a pretty fair crowd, amen? But you find after that that they're still going. They were called in, beaten. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus, but they had a prayer meeting, and the Bible said they prayed, Lord, and listen, they did not pray, Lord, help us to get out of this. Help us to quit. Lord, help us to keep our head, not get, no. They said, Lord, grant that with all boldness, we may make known, preach the gospel. And the Bible says the place where they were praying was shaken and with great power and boldness and with great power, the Lord gave them uh, grace to witness to the resurrection and the number of disciples now again were multiplied. They've already got a minimum of 8,000 saved. The smallest number you can multiply by is two. That means that at this point, they must have at least 16,000 hmm? witnessing at home, telling the story. And God honored this. Now, 
great revival was going on in Jerusalem. But you know what they'd done in the process? They seemed to have forgotten that the Lord said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So you know what happened? Acts chapter 5, hypocrites show up. Ananias and Sapphira. They sold some property and, and the others were coming and giving what they had to the church to help those in need. And so here they had agreed that we're going to give part of it. We'll keep back the rest of it. And, you know, uh, Ananias came in and, and he gave this money, laid it at Peter's feet. And uh, Peter said, you sell the property. And he said, that's what I sold it for. And he said, why have you lied? And, uh, you know, you tempted the Holy Ghost. And the Bible said that man fell down dead at the feet of Peter. They took him out, wound him up, buried him. As far as we know, did him have a funeral. His wife comes in. She was privy to it. And Peter asked her, he said, did you sell a property for so much? And she said, it did. He said, the feet of those that took your husband are standing at the door. They had just come back and burying him, and she fell down dead. Hypocrites show up in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 6, murmuring and complaining. The Grecian and Hebrew widows, you know. But uh, listen, they had forgotten the Lord said going to all the world. Now by Acts chapter 8, you know what happens? You know what happens? The Lord permits great persecution to come upon the church. Why did he do that? And I suggest to you, the answer is simply, he did it to get missions underway. I believe time and time again, churches have major trouble. I mean splits, explosions, and the split, split, and the split, split, splinter. Because they won't get involved in missions. Amen? Here, the Lord let great persecution come. One preacher said, he said he worked it this way. He turned Saul loose on the church. And so the result was, you read this in the first four verses of Acts chapter 8, they were all scattered abroad because of this persecution except the apostles. Now, I don't know why they stayed in Jerusalem. I don't know if the officials told them, don't leave town, boys, we're not finished with you. Or if they just said, we're tough enough to take it, we ain't running. I don't know. But I know this, it wasn't the apostles that did what happened next. In verse 4, the Bible says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word, preaching the gospel. Hey, do you reckon that took God by surprise? Hmm, not on your life. Somebody said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God never has gone to bed one night, you know, i got a problem, I don't want to do it. You know, get up there, i got it, I know. No, God doesn't slumber nor sleep. God knew exactly what he was doing, and because of that persecution, they were all scattered abroad. They went out as missionaries, doing exactly what the second point of our message says, and that is sending out missionaries. The church at Jerusalem sent them out, but they didn't plan on sending them out just quite like this, Amen. And, uh, but listen, God honored that. Churches were established. They went everywhere preaching. And uh, throughout Judea, Samaria, and, you know, the uttermost parts. And, and you know what? That was exactly what the Lord said would happen in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It just took persecution to get it underway. Now, in Acts chapter 9, in verse 31, you want to look at the effectiveness of their outreach? Acts chapter 9, verse 31. 
You know, we have the question, does missions work? Well, look at Acts 9.31. The Bible said, then the churches had rest. Let me get over there, please. It said, then the churches had rest throughout. Give me just a second. I'll get these pages. Cooperate with me. Look at verse 31, Acts chapter 9. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Now, it started out just the church in Jerusalem. But God's radical implementation, implementing this matter of missions has resulted in churches, look out, throughout all Judea. It's no longer just the church at Jerusalem. And it's no longer just, you know, the group that's right there in town. But it's throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. And notice what kind of churches these were. They were edified. That means they're, they're being strengthened and built up in the faith, walking in the fear of the Lord. That means that they're living godly, living right. And they weren't scared to death. You know, well, i got to be real careful and, you know, and, and God may just chop my head off. No, no. The Bible said walking in the fear of the Lord. And look at the next phrase. In the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Strong, godly, Bible-believing churches that God's pleased with. And it came about through missionaries. I say again, it's God's will for us to send out missionaries. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. As the church at Antioch fasted and prayed and ministered unto the Lord, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul. By the way, that is the same Saul that God turned loose on the church that was persecuting the church. In Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, the Lord got him. Amen. He got saved. And the Lord made him a great missionary. <coughs> Pardon me. But, uh, hey, uh, the Holy Ghost said... Separate me, Barnabas and Saul. What was the work they were being separated to? Missions. You go and study the following scriptures. And the Bible says after they fasted and prayed and laid their hands on on them, they sent them away. And uh, they go down, get on a ship, and go to Salamis. The Bible said to preach the word of God to them. And you began studying their lives from that point on. They were sent out as missionaries. Sent out as missionaries. By the way, God's working on some hearts here in this church, calling some people out. I sense this, already know this, calling some people out to be missionaries. But look at, let's go to another passage. Turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I want us to see one of these churches that becomes the example for all the other churches in this matter of missions. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul speaks of them in turning uh, to, to the Lord in verse 5. And then he says in verse 6, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. Now notice this, please. He said, With joy of the Holy Ghost. Now look to what extent they followed. He said, So that you were in samples, and that's just an old English word for examples, so that you were in samples to all that believe, in Macedonia and Achaia. Now I ask you the question, what made them examples for all the other believers in those two provinces? 
What made them examples for us, since this is uh, a part of the of the New Testament scriptures, of the inspired canon, the Word of God? What made them examples? He said there were examples to all that believed in Macedonia and Caia. Look at verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. Their involvement in missions is what made them the shining, sparkling, godly examples they were for all of the other churches and examples they are for us today, and we need to follow that same example. Amen. Sending out missionaries. But it's not only God's way to send out people. It's God's way to send out provision. Now, in the book of Acts chapter 13, they tell us in the Greek, it's very clear that they sent these sent Saul and Barnabas away with provision. I, I don't know, you know, without the Greek, I'd say, well, I don't know. But uh, in the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 15 and 16, it is very clear that the church at Philippi, they, uh, they contributed to the missionary ministry of the apostle Paul. Paul said in verse 15, Philippians chapter 4 and 16, says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated or shared, that's what that word means, communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Well, what they do? Verse 16, what the church do it Philippi says, For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity. This church started giving just like we do now. Now turn, if you will, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And uh, chapter, let's see. 1 Corinthians chapter, my, my memory is slipping on me, my, fading me. Let's see if I'm, chapter 9 it is, I'm sorry. Now look why the church did this. And look why we support missionaries today. Paul uses a metaphor in verse 9, speaking of, you know, one of the Old Testament laws. He said, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out to corn. But he asked the question, doth God take care of oxen? Or saith he, he had altogether for our sakes. And he answers, for our sakes, no doubt this is written, that he that plows should plow in hope, and he that thresheth should thresh in hope, uh, should be protected of his hope. If I have sown in you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be protectors of this power of you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power. He's talking about actually the people supporting him financially. And the reason he did not permit the church at Phil at Corinth to do this is because it was a carnal church and he did not want to be accused of preaching for money and it being a hindrance to the church but uh, he said uh, uh, we've not used this power but suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ but look at verse 13 and 14 do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple and they which wait at the altar are protectors with the altar even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Now you think about that. See, this is not new. 
The Lord Jesus Christ lived this way. The Old Testament prophets lived in this manner. And there was clear, specific laws concerning the care for the, for the priest. And then when you come to the New Testament, we find Jesus lived in this manner. In fact, when he was an infant, the wise men that came from the east came bearing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why did they do that? They did it not only to worship him, but they did it under the leadership of God the Father because Herod, a wicked king, was going to try to kill Jesus. And the Father, God the Father told Joseph to take the young child, flee into Egypt uh, in order to protect his life. And Joseph being a carpenter, how's he going to make a living for his family? Well, he's got to go and speak a different language or learn a foreign language, develop new contacts, and, uh, you know, make a place for himself in the workforce. All those are real problems. And God the Father knew that. So before Joseph was even directed to take Jesus and Mary to go to Egypt, God had already provided for him through the gifts of the wise men. Isn't that amazing? And then when Jesus began his earthly ministry, you find that there were people who ministered unto him of their substance, who gave to him. He had a treasure, and he had a, uh, uh, his name was Judas. He had a treasury. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, I think it's verse 4 or 5, you find even the amount that I think was in the treasury is alluded to, 200 pence. And it was because this is God's way of supporting his people. Now, why should preachers be supported like this? And I'm going to tell you, because the work of the ministry is so time demanding that if you're really busy doing what you're supposed to do, you don't have a lot of time left to work. Don't have a lot of energy left to work. One of the hardest things that I ever did in my life was trying to work a secular job when we were in our first pastorate, trying to pioneer that church and get it up to where it was able to, uh, uh, to stand on its own. And then at that point, the Lord was going to lead me away because I was actually in home missions. Brother Peter, I didn't know to call it that at that point. But, uh, hey, uh, one of the hardest things I ever did. And yet the Lord gave me strength. I was a young man then. And I worked and provided her income. And then the church, when it grew, began to help us and take care of us. But I'm going to tell you, folks, it's very difficult. In fact, uh, you go and work all day and then, and then go out and visit at night. And if you're going to lay around and sleep and not try to get people saved, not do what you're supposed to do, I guess a fellow could, you know, he could do it, work and, and so on. But if you're actually beating the bushes and witnessing, it's going to be taxing on your physical strength. But let me go on. We'll, we'll hasten on. The church at Philippi sent to help Paul and the church at Antioch and Jerusalem and others uh, were exhorted to give. The church at Corinth exhorted to give, and others as well. And in the book of Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, Paul the Apostle said, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. That's the way he was taken care of. That's the way he was provided for. But let me give you this, and we'll close. I said missions involves witnessing at home. Number two, sending out missionaries. Missionaries that God may call from this church. Missionaries that God has called from other churches. And uh, then number three, doing this with a burdened heart. You know, God forbid that we come to the place, we just do it because we're supposed to, you know. We need to do this with a heartfelt burden. And uh, 
In the book of Psalms, chapter 126, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Jesus wept. Jesus reached out to others. He beheld the city and wept over it. Paul served with many tears. Acts chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. And then in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, Paul said, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You go into the Old Testament when it comes to this matter of burden. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 9, the Lord sent an angel out, and he said, Take an inkhorn and put a mark on the forehead of everyone that sighs, that weeps over the sin in the land. And he came back, and then it was done, and he sent out another angel. He said, Now take the sword, and beginning at my house, you smite and slay everyone that doesn't have the mark of the inkhorn in the forehead. And I've often thought, Pastor, many times, if the Lord did that again, how many of us would die? How many of us would live? Depending on the burden that we have for others, the care that we have for others. Well, missions is scriptural. It's the heartbeat of God, and God's pleased as we're involved in it. 